Welcome back to the Drive and Kick SB Nation NBA podcast. Many teams use the Drive and Kick as a staple of their offense. Drive. Kicks out. Drives. Kick out. It requires a team with effective dribblers. Quick crossover and a drive. Passers. What a pass. And shooters. Quick release. Three-pointer. That's good. I'm your host, Paul Flannery. Let's see how it's done. Welcome back to the Drive and Kick podcast, another playoff edition with my man John Gonzalez out in Los Angeles where he has been witnessing the carnage of the Clipper Jazz series. It's kind of, well, We're going to get into this a lot, but like, Gonz, this series is like everything that we thought it was going to be, just brutalist basketball. It, this series belongs on the East Coast or very late at night on the West Coast, one of the two. Yeah, well, uh, it's one of the two. It's I just got back uh, the other day from Utah and... Every time I show up at a game, whether it's in L.A. or Utah, I go, oh, well, you know, now we'll see what this series is about because so-and-so is back. And then somebody else goes out. Uh, it's just been absolutely crazy. But we're going to get into that. We're going to do that series. We're going to do uh, whether or not either team that emerges from this one has a shot with the Warriors. Uh, we're going to talk about Dame Willard talking about the Warriors and Portland getting bounced out. Uh, but we're going to start first with – OKC and Houston. But before we do that, we want to thank everybody for listening to us. And uh, if you wouldn't mind reviewing us and, and subscribing, that would be great. But uh, OKC and the and um, the Rockets plan, it was supposed to be a marquee series because of the two MVP candidates, and it completely fizzled. It was a dud. Yeah, I mean, I picked the Rockets in five, and I did that kind of thinking this was going to play out the way it did, which was every game was close. There were no blowouts here unless I'm, unless one's escaping me, right? Like every game was competitive. Every game was close. And I just thought the Rockets had just too much stuff for OKC that that the way OKC plays, they might have had a better matchup against, say, San Antonio or someone like that. But, you know, they have – it's math, man. They have no answers for the three-point barrage that they were getting. And Houston's better. We talked about this last week. Oh, is Houston really that much better? And that's – you know, yes – their supporting cast is better man for man than OKC's. So, like, on some level, I'm not surprised. On another level, it was like everything about the Harden Westbrook season was condensed and crystallized into these five games. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of amazing how this, how this played out. Like, you're talking about how it was competitive, and it was, but at the same time, like, all four games that the Rockets won. You know, like when it's coming down and like OKC is close in those games, there were there was enough of a gap where it was like, okay, like you said, Russ had to do too much. The supporting cast wasn't doing enough. And it never felt like, yeah, he pulled one out. But in in a lot of the other ones, especially, um, you know, game five, it didn't feel like they were going to get there. I was watching it in. I uh, never thought they were going to win that game. I never yeah, thought they I'm were watching win it in the Clippers media room, and specifically to your point about the supporting cast and how they play. Like you and I, when I was in Utah, I texted you and I was like, "I love Russ. I hate the way they play." Mm-hmm. And, and we were like, sort of going back and forth about, do they have to play this way just to be competitive? And the answer is probably yes, but that's a massive problem because you saw it rear its head in Game Five, end of the game. Um, Victor Ola, they're trying to catch up. They're jacking up threes. Victor Oladipo had a three at top of the key, and it looked like he could launch it. And instead, he threw this wild cross-court jump pass to trying to hit Russ in the corner that 
airball the airmailed it into the stands rather than just shooting it himself because he was trying to find Russ because in that system Russ has to do everything and that right there was the principal problem like if Victor Oladipo is supposedly your second guy who by the way you're going to give over 20 million dollars to next season and for the next couple of seasons then you've got a massive issue because he's he hasn't allowed to do anything and he hasn't done anything right and I so I'm fairly confident that Sam Presti understands all this and that Presti understood. No, I'm, I'm being serious. And that Presti oh, I, understood all this going into the season as well. Like I don't think he deluded himself into thinking, okay, um, here we go. Now we're coming back. You know, this this will be the team. They viewed this year as a transition year, rightfully so. They lost Durant. There really wasn't anywhere they could go in free agency. And let's be real about this. There, there weren't that many marquee free agents, but how many of them are like, yeah, dude, let me come to the to the charred, scorched earth remains of Oklahoma to, right. um, you know, try to pick these guys up. Now, like, you know, Horford, who they dabbled with, was, you know, he's like, Boston, Boston's on Boston's on the rise, let's go. You know, so there wasn't a lot they could do, and to their credit, they didn't try to do too much. I think this is a Presty Hallmark. Um, we all like their, their, their trade deadline deal. That got them some, you know, whether whatever yeah. they do with Taj Gibson, getting McDermott and a first round pick was a nice little bit of business there. So I'm going to be really fascinated to see what kind of team they have next year. And the players on this team, the role players on this team that have been here before, excluding Oladipo, really were put in place to support Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So, I mean, Robertson is an awesome defender, but can you have that many non-shooters on the court? You know, so I'll be very curious to see which way they go here. There's a lot of elements to this, and I want to get into them all. But so since we're talking about team building right now, I think that's really important. Cap-wise, so I'm with you. I want to see what Sam Presti can do. But this would take a massive, like, magic trick, dude. And and when they went in and signed, they've got forty over $40 million. I think it's like $43 million per annum committed to Steven Adams and Victor Oladipo. Now – Okay, and you, oh, by the way, you're paying Enos Canner like eighteen million dollars, and Enos Canner is completely useless. Yeah, he's so, not completely useless, but he's pretty much unplayable in a postseason series. He's play, he, uh, yeah, he yeah, can get you. He can help you get through the regular season, which is no small thing. But you're right, you're right. I mean, for for all intents and purposes, he's unplayable in the playoffs because they just attack, attack, attack. So, so you've got all this money, right? And yeah, okay, like you can use him in the regular season, and we could debate like his usefulness beyond that but anyway i'm saying i don't think he's i'm not a need scanner guy but I no that, fair fun that, that point but so you've got all this money wrapped up in in pieces that you know you need to be significant and frankly aren't and i like victor oladipo quite a bit but again if you go back to the system like look what they did in the playoffs right like in the regular season they played that way and and they launched themselves in the playoffs on on Russ's back and Russ does everything and his usage rate is absolutely through the sky but what does it ultimately get them like they were their net rating in the playoffs was a minus 5.4 Houston was plus point a 5.4 that's a big big chasm and you had like you saw Patrick Beverly after the after the series and you know, he and Russ were shit talking each other like the entire time, right? And Russ is going, I got 40 points, you can't guard me. And Patrick Beverly goes, Well, yeah, that's cool, man, but it took you 34 shots to get there, which <laughs> is the point. That's the point. Right. Like, team building wise, what are you doing to help Russ? It obviously isn't sustainable. You just can't play that way in the modern NBA. And then, how do you untangle yourself from the contracts that you committed yourself to this season? Like, I. I, on the one hand, no I one is untradeable. No one is untradeable. 
No, 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 for sure. But what I'm saying is like, on, on the one hand, when it happened, I looked at what Sam Presti did and the other options that he had available to him, and I go, okay, it makes sense. But now, this offseason, you sort of hand, handcuffed yourself. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to have to pull a rabbit out of a hat to like re, reconfigure this team and gerrymander it so that it's like you can get Russ some help. Otherwise, you're coming back with a team that looks pretty much like this because you don't have a lot of cap flexibility. I don't know that they're totally handcuffed. I mean, like, I hear what you're saying. Like, it, it's not, it's not ideal. It's not optimal, right? But like, this isn't like, say, the Brooklyn Nets being handcuffed, sure. Right. So, like, there, 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 there's, there's levels and degrees here. And Presti's pretty, pretty smart and pretty shrewd. I mean, the first order of business is seeing if Westbrook is going to sign that extension. And if he doesn't, then all of a sudden you move in a completely different direction. But if he does, then, then you go to work. And I don't really have a feel for that. I'm not out there all that much. Um, What's, what was interesting to me about this series, Gons, was that, you know, so I voted for Westbrook for MVP, right? And I agonized over that. I, I really, it really came down to a choice between Westbrook and Harden. And as soon as I, as soon as I made the choice, I was like, maybe I, did I short shrift Harden? <laughs> and the way it worked out in the, in the playoffs was like, this was, that was basically the James Harden MVP case and the Russell Westbrook MVP case, right? Like Harden helped the Rockets win. He was really right. good for most, most of the series. Westbrook was everything for the Thunder. And, you know, I, like, as we've been saying, I don't know, there's a totally wrong answer here, but like, you know, the Rockets are just better. They're, they're a lot better, significantly better. And, you know, honestly, um, I think that they will give whoever they get in the second round, I'm assuming it's going to be San Antonio, I think they're going to give them a series, a real good one. Yeah. I want to ask you real quick uh, about your vote. Uh, before I do that, though, like the, the part that you mentioned about Russ's contract, so he, he played this really smart. Yep. So sure KD leaves, right? And he decides to take that two-year extension. And basically, like he would have been a free agent this offseason. So he delays his free agency by one year because next offseason he'll have the option to opt out. And he's going to opt out. Uh, and then he can figure out if he's going to stay or go. But either way, he's going to get paid. But by doing so, by just delaying his free agency by one year, one, uh, he gets to like see what Sam Presti can do for him. Two, and most importantly, he curries so much favor with Oklahoma City. If he leaves next offseason uh, because they haven't put enough pieces around him, nobody's going to go, okay, well, this is Russ's fault in the same way they did with KD. Like, the, he, he, he did it really smart. Yeah, never underestimate fans' ability to hold a grudge, um, But as you know. <laughs> Fair enough. But, Fair yeah, enough. no, you're right. And, you know, I, I thought it was interesting because a lot of players – a lot of players have not done this, right? Um, a lot of players have not followed the LeBron model. A lot of players have not, you know, they've jumped at the first big extension dollars they get. If they wait a year, they could make like significantly more, and they're not willing to do it. And that's fair; it's their career. It's not. It's not. It's not ours. They should do what they what they feel like is best. But yeah, this was really smart by Westbrook because he didn't lock himself into a bad situation, right. and he increases his earning power, and he increases his power basically. If he's like, I'm not doing this then he kind of controls he doesn't control it fully but he controls the landscape quite a bit yeah and the pr comp- I, like I, I just think it was really smart by him even though you know it just i i don't see the sustainability of what they have in okc and the way they play it just doesn't it just don't oh i think they have to be significantly different come, come, and i just don't know how they get there um did the playoffs in retrospect like i was having this debate again with some of the other media members while we were waiting for um Game five. 
did the playoffs change anything about our perception about like did like it's not like Russ played any different or the OKC did anything different and yet I came away from that going oh if I had had a vote and I was with you like I uh, eventually came around to Russ and then he gets bounced in the first round and like if you could do it over again would you vote for a guy who got bounced in the first round See, I thought about that, <laughs> and you know, I Ziller actually made a good point. I was talking about it with him before before I made my, my selection. He's like, you can't vote based on how you think the playoffs are going to go. You just can't, because otherwise you'd vote for LeBron, you know. Right. And so, I, I mean, I, the case for Harden was that he made a good team into a into an exceptional team, and the case for Westbrook was that he made a maybe mediocre team, if not poor, into a playoff team. Right. So, right. from that standpoint, it's like. It was not surprising to me, and I picked five mainly in sort of a gallows humor kind of way because I was like, well, I made the choice, and it's going to come back on me now. Um, so that was <laughs> sort of how I sort of how I played it. But, you know, and it's funny. A lot of people who didn't pick Russ thought this was going to go seven for exactly the same reason, you know? And so yeah. it just goes to show how people how people view the two players. I mean, I, I do feel bad for Harden because I feel like he earned it um, as much as Westbrook did. And, you know, I'd like to say it wasn't the closing stretch that Westbrook put over the top, but I can't say that for sure. You know, I'd like to say it wasn't the 42 triple doubles because I'm above such, you know, mundane things, but I can't say for sure because he got 42 triple doubles. It's like, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm, that one I'm going to remember. It was my first one official and, but I'm going to remember that one for a long time. I'm hoping for an easier one next year, a clear cut choice, a clear cut choice. Uh, Speaking of clear cut choices. Paul Flannery, as we transition here, yeah. uh, the Golden State Warriors cruising per usual. Uh, your guy, Dame Lillard, who I think like you love him more than most people that I know. I I think he's fantastic, but he what we, what we really like about him is how much he wants to compete in the playoffs yes. and win games, and it drives him insane that they haven't really been able to do that. Shy of like you know winning a series here and there. Uh, they didn't win a game in this one. They ran headlong into the Warriors, who just buzzsawed them. And afterwards, he said he was obsessed with some with figuring out how to solve the Warriors' conundrum, which pretty much brings us to a larger discussion about the West. Are we locked in here for the next however many years of just like them steamrolling the playoffs? Like, what would the the Blazers or say whoever comes out of this Clippers Jazz series or beyond that, um, you know? The, the Rockets Spurs winner. Like, what do you do to solve the Warriors? Well, so a couple of things. One, I think you know the blueprint, such as it is, is is Cleveland's, which is to have a bunch of um, a bunch of uh, guys who can switch defensively. Especially, oh, by the way, you might want to have one of the best players who ever lived, right. LeBron, with a bunch of LeBron shooters around him. <laughs> with a bunch of shooters, you better be able to score with them. You can't just right. try to like bludgeon them defensively because they'll still outscore you. You right. know, like you're really not going to make up the ground inside, although it's tempting to just punish them inside because three is more than two and they'll do that. Um, so the, the the blueprint, again, is that like switch everything defense, jam everything up, be physical with them as much as possible and then have one of the greatest players of all time make unbelievable plays with great shot making, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, there's not a lot of teams who can do that. I'm very curious to see if they match up with Houston because Houston's approach is we are going to outscore you from three. And I don't know if that's possible, but I'd be really interested to see if it is um, because nobody else can do that. Nobody else right. can shoot shoots their volume of threes or has, has that many that many options. So that will be interesting, you know, um, I, but I don't see how a lot of these teams match up. And here's the here's the flip side of this. It's really about Golden State. So, like, how is Steve Kerr? 
because you said for years and years and years, right? How right. is Steve Kerr long term? What's 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 the pro, what's the prognosis there? Um, right. You feel like you know uh, Andre Iguodala. How much more does he have left? He's so important to them. So yeah, I mean, sure. I feel like everything in the NBA right now is really on a on a on a year by year basis, especially with injuries. So I want to I want to touch on that Rockets point about because you know surprise surprise guess who the teams are that are playing at the quickest pace. Uh, Golden State obviously was first. Portland, because they were in a series with the Warriors, were, were right. also playing super fast. And then in the West, uh, the next quickest pace is uh, the Houston Rockets. So you know, like they're probably they're going to do what they've done all season, which is go really fast, get to the rim, shoot threes, uh, take as many free throws as possible, and they're going to play that. As many free throws as possible. Oh my god, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. You know, I forgot watching Houston in the playoffs is like. It's it's Dude. that I know it's I know it's weird and I know people um, other than me hate it. I kind of like that skill set. I'm not saying I like to watch free throws because who the hell likes to watch free throws? But the ability to get foul calls Ugh. is a skill. Like in the same way, like some teams are really good at pick and rolls, or some teams are uh, more dominant on the glass, or whatever. Like uh, you know, some teams are really good three point shooting teams. Um, they have a skill. They have a lot of guys who are really good at getting to the line and converting there. And that's Come not enough. <laughs> so yeah, you know, and I, th- I feel like we need to make this point because I think right. one of the things the NBA has got to address in the off season, right? Like we haven't seen a lot of the uh, the, the hackathons that we right, have. Right. Thank God, I hated that. I didn't. It's not basketball. It's garbage, but. Um, they really have to figure out a way to officiate the three-point line because it's gotten out of control. Guys doing their moves where they just like – they throw something up and they flail or if they feel any kind of contact, they're throwing some garbage up at the rim. Like to me, that's not basketball. And I feel like there ought to be a way to sort of make a point of emphasis, clarify these things – Kicking out the legs and falling. Right. I mean, it's it's absurd, and it's a bad. I, I don't I don't like watching it at all. Um, I, I'll even save my rant on the block charge thing for later. But like, I really feel like if they were to clean up how because the three is such an NBA the NBA rules were not designed for the three point shot to be this prominent. You know, at some point I, you got you got to evolve with it. I've seen Chris Paul in this series, and I don't want to get to them just yet. But I'm just about the specific topic of conversation i've seen him in this series at least twice maybe three times where he'll like swing his arms down and up so that his defender who's guarding him in front like is just like playing normal defense and not reaching but chris paul will make it look like he's reaching and collide his arms on an upward swing and he'll get a foul call on a three-point shot and it drives the utah uh team and fans nuts and with good reason but also like you said it's the rules, so you know you either have to like change the point of emphasis, or it's going to continue like this. Um, right. Do you think, as we look at, just to get back to this Warriors part here, like you look at the Portland Trailblazers who had to play really fast with the Warriors and it didn't work even a little bit. Do you think the Rockets or you know whoever comes out of the Jazz don't play that way? Right. Uh, the Clippers do, but I haven't beaten. You know, you know when the last time the Clippers beat the Warriors was. Was it like Take a, a guess. was it in the playoffs when they when they won that series? Like no. three years ago? <laughs> it, the last time they beat them in a single game was Christmas of twenty fourteen. It's been a long they've they're on a ten game losing streak to the Warriors. So I think yeah. whoever comes out of this series gets absolutely hammered. But can you can you beat the Warriors playing fast? Like 
I don't know. I, Utah would be interesting too, just because you know, like that. That is also the the other style thing. That to, Utah is sort of like the modern day. They're not quite similar, but they remind me a lot of like when Memphis was getting going. Like you know, they're going to bludgeon you as best right. they can, and like that to me would be interesting too to see. Like I don't think they have enough to beat them, but I bet they could they could soften them up just a little bit. Maybe um, I'd be a little worried about the Clippers. I've always felt the Clippers like physically matched up with Golden State in a, in a decent way, but I would be nervous about them without Blake. I don't know, man. You're you're closer to this than I am. Um, you know, so, yeah. the, the Blake thing is weird. Go ahead. Let's Take get into that. Blake. So yeah. I just wrote a big piece on the ringer about uh, the Blake injury, the, the, the latest one, and like how it affected them and what happened over the weekend in Utah. And it was it was like on the one hand you go, okay, it's not surprising it's the Clippers. But to see them talk about it and to see how like deflated and devastated they were, like obviously there was a psychological blow there. And they come out in that next game, like the very next game after having spent, you know, Saturday being off and talking about Blake being down again and what they were going to do, they come out on Sunday in Utah and they were playing really well right up until like the last 10 minutes of the game when they absolutely cratered and they just didn't have enough offense. And the way that like I'm with you, I think Utah could I don't I definitely don't think Utah will beat the Warriors by any stretch. But could they win a game or two because of the way that they play and like getting Rudy back? And they're like more physical. Yeah, they they maybe could because like, you know, the, what I've seen them do since Rudy came back and Gordon Hayward, who you know missed Game Five because he had food poisoning and had to get IVs. Gordon Hayward's been really good yeah. except for that that one game that he missed. So I, I could see them like giving the Warriors a little bit of a matchup issue. Like when when Rudy's out there, what do you? Draymond's amazing. But what do you do? You're still small at that point. Yeah, you try to spread them out, I guess. I mean, by the way, have you ever had food poisoning? I have one time. It was the it was the death. I've had it. God, I think I've had it two or three times. Yeah, I I got wow. food poisoning at a journalism awards dinner in in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's, that, was that was your award. Brutal. That was my reward. Second place in enterprise writing. Um, uh, but anyway, so uh, yeah, no, I think I think I think you know with Utah, they are susceptible to a small. T- I mean. I, I saw it twice when they played the Celtics. Celtics just went ultra small against them, just spread out the court and just you know mm-hmm. bombed away. And they had a, they had a really tough time keeping up with them. So I, I imagine that that would be this, a similar scenario. You know, you remember when Memphis took a two one lead on Golden State a couple of years ago, and then they were like, let's just play small all the time and run them off the court, and that's what they did. So I imagine that would be the same kind of blueprint, but it would still be an interesting stylistic clash, I think. Well, especially because. Um the Jazz have the best player in the series. ISO playoff Joe Johnson. Dude. Who has been, zombie Joe Johnson has been resurrected. Like, what the hell is happening with him? Have you been paying attention to that part? I love Joe Johnson. He's gone from, like, overrated to uh, underappreciated to mm-hmm. kind of like a cult hero, you know, in, in his later years. Like, there's literally nothing that affects that guy. And you kind of want a guy like that on your team in the postseason because, like, nothing gets to him, man. Nothing no. gets to him. He actually, like, after he basically won two games for them, he won one and five for them. And to hear him talk about it afterwards, where he was just like, meh, 
Like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I just try to get him. I try to get to my spot on the floor and I jack up some shots. And I'm like, all right, man. Like, like you were really bad there for a while, and you were arguably like the worst contract in the NBA. And now all of a sudden, you come to Utah, where they use you for much of the season as your like fill-in six man. Uh, fill-in starter because they had so many different lineup changes because they had so many different injuries and now all of a sudden you're playing hero uh, your playoff hero ball like it's crazy to watch it really has been fun um real you know what's amazing was- about joe johnson by the way like i don't know all the stories because i wasn't around then but when he came into league pierce and antoine were on the celtics and they destroyed him like they tried to like because that's what, that's what those guys are like, you know. Especially sure. when they were younger, they were they were they were merciless, and Joe never really fought back because he's just not in his mindset. Which is one of the reasons why they traded him back in the day right. to, to Phoenix. And you know, to see him kind of code through that, that could that could destroy a lot of young players. And uh, yeah, his 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 response was just to have no response. Yeah, that's Joe Johnson. He just eh, I'm just going to go out there. It's been really fun to watch. He's been he's been one of my favorite storylines of the series. Um real quick before we go on to the Eastern Conference and the Cavs. We talk about this all the time with the Clippers. I'd be shocked if they get out of this series. Even if they do, they're going to get absolutely hammered in the next in the next round. What do you do? I mean, like, so, and I know we, I know that this is know. the same hang ringing that the uh, hand ringing that everybody does. But like, I for, I for a while, you were like, we're never going to get rid of these Clippers, right? And I was like, yeah, somebody's got to, somebody's got to leave. They've got to get rid of somebody. They got to change it up. They, you know, whatever. If I was Chris Paul, I wrote about this in my piece. I would be thinking to myself, you know, he in this series plan, he passed Kirk Heinrich for most playoff games without a conference finals appearance. Jeez. That's a list. You do not want to be on, and Chris Paul definitely doesn't want to be on because he's a maniac. I would so, th- go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, if I was Chris Paul, I might think about leaving and going to the Spurs or something to chase a ring. If you're the Clippers, though, the more I think about it, like, even though you explode your salary, like, what options do you have? Well, you're totally handcuffed. I mean, I don't think they have any options. I think it comes down to Blake, and I'll explain this way. I think Chris, you know, based on the kind of contract he can get from the Clippers that they awesomely negotiated into the collective bargaining agreement of which he serves as what is is he president of the union? I think Chris so. Paul. Chris God love Paul him, man. Will. He got God love him. Good for him. Um, you know, it would make a lot of sense for him to re up with the Clippers. I, I don't know JJ Redick that well, but I get the sense that, you know, he, he would enjoy he enjoys a more cosmopolitan kind of an NBA existence. Hundred percent. Um and, you know, I think you know, there's obviously a place for him there. Um, you know, the, it really comes down to Blake for me. I mean, you got you got DeAndre, you know that, the, but that's that's a hard one. That's a, it's it's really hard. My sense has always been that the Clippers will keep the Clippers together for as long as they can, but it's up to the individual Clippers to 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 agree to it. And if one of them flips, then we got a different situation. Yeah, the individual Clipper component. Uh, is obviously like there's so many variables and so many different things could happen. Like again, if if Chris Paul wakes up after this and goes, I got to get out of here. I got to go to the right. Spurs or somebody. Yeah, that changes and, like, everything. Uh, then everything changes. But from just the Clippers' perspective, like uh, every, I think there's this sentiment, you know, in LA slash around the NBA, like one of the Clippers just going to blow it up and reboot. But I look at it and I go, okay, Steve Ballmer paid a lot of money for this team. They are in LA, and you can't. Like if you were going to just sort of like move a piece around or two and try to make them better by like bring back Chris Paul but not Blake Griffin or something, you're not going to find better options on 
the market, right? You're not going to be able to like refix this thing by yourself, right? As right. opposed to just going, we already have two superstars available. The, the Griffin component to me is about his health, right? And the and other that's not the, insignificant. The other issue that you have here is that the the, the basketball operations are run by the coach, that's and a bad co- thing. and coaches do not want to take unless you're going into a situation like you know, that you're starting over from scratch and you can do it your way. Like coaches are not really into this for the long haul, right? They're not into a five-year plan. I mean, look at Stan Van Gundy, Detroit, which was basically about, you know, they had to hit rock bottom. But like he immediately started signing guys to above-rate contracts and now they're totally locked into a 44-win team. That's sort of like the classic coach model MO there. And so, you know, I love Doc. He's He's... Awesome. He's been great to me, but I, you know, I would not want to base a rebuild around around Doc Rivers because I don't think he's I, in it. I don't think he'd be in it for the long haul. I am a hundred percent with you on everything you just said. If I was going to change something about because again, I look at the Clippers and I go, all right. The one point that Doc made was, you know, it's really easy from the outside to blow everything up. Sure. And, you know, Utah, um, you know, kept John Stockton and Carl Malone together and they never won it, but they did break through and they made it to the finals. They and like, good for them. They, they had still chance. had a chance, right? And there's, this is what I was saying about like, where are you going to get better players than Chris Paul and Blake Griffin up on the open market? You're just not. So if you want to like be in that tier and take another shot at it, I get it. The one thing I would change 100%, you can't have Doc Rivers running your front office. Like he's, the, the coach front office um, conjoined model doesn't work. I like Doc Rivers quite a bit as a coach. I like him, like his players like him. And uh, like you said, he's been good to the media, good to me. Like I, w- I would keep him installed there. But you've got to bring somebody in to run this thing and figure out how to like give them a little bit more off the bench. Because beyond Jamal Crawford, like when, when Austin Rivers goes down and then comes back and you're like super excited about it, that's a glaring issue no it's a glaring issue it, it can work we it, it works in san antonio and has for a long time but that's because rc buford is right. empowered right. right and i'll be curious to see if it works in minnesota to see how much you know how much room scott laden has if 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 much at all um you know i'm curious to see what happens in detroit and a few other places but yeah i it's a really dangerous model um the the ones that make it successful are the outliers you know it's like oh right. if we could just be like the spurs yeah good luck yeah, that's the point. Like, you know, <laughs> if you're gonna go, well, it worked in San Antonio. All right. <laughs> yeah. A, like, I'm not. I'm just sure. not buying that. Right. Um, so that's more stuff to monitor. All right. Uh, let's get into. You wanted to talk real quick about yeah the, East. the inevitability of the East. Yeah, the Cavs are back. Um, I, you know what though? I I don't, I don't think the Cavs are back yet. Like, they they won every game. You know, they they needed a, a, a phenomenal LeBron performance to come back and win Game Three. Their defensive issues are still very prevalent. Um, Indiana had nothing for him, you know, and so I'm curious. Now, Toronto, Toronto has sort of gotten itself back on track here. I, I still think I don't think Toronto's going to beat them. Everyone, calm down. Don't at me on this, but I still think Toronto can give them a competitive series if they can get through. If they could, if they could get rid of Milwaukee quickly and not have to go to a game seven, they right. could rest up. They'd start on Monday. I think that would be, you know, that would be an interesting series, but. You know, man, the East is so freaking weird. And like, remember last week we're like, the Celtics are totally screwed. There's right. no way they're coming back with a 2-2 split. And I'm going to a game five later tonight on Wednesday. 
and it's 2-2. And the Wizards are the second-best team in the Eastern Conference, and then they lose two games in Atlanta. Like, the East just can't get out of its own way. And so I don't know if – again, I don't know if we're going to know enough about the Cavs until the finals. I want to. So – all right, so about the Cavs' defense, I, I just want to bring it back to a point that you made about the Warriors and the Rockets and how, like, you know, if you're going to – can the Rockets just play super, super fast and, and out-Warriors the Warriors, if that's possible? The Cavs' defense, as we all know in the regular – like, I, wh- what did we say they were? They were, like, at the bottom of defensive ranking uh, in the NBA, like, going into the playoffs over the last couple of weeks. In the, against Indiana, it was almost like they didn't care – Right. Uh, I'm not saying like that they, they weren't trying to play defense, but it was we can and we will just crush you offensively. And they did. Right now, in the playoffs as we record this, top team in the offensive rating category, the Cleveland Cavaliers. You've got LeBron and a bunch of shooters around them. So is it even possible for anybody? Like, It's obviously possible for the Warriors to match that. Is right. it possible for anybody in the East to play that fast and score that much with the Cavs? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'd like Washington in that equation, but like their bench just gives me the freaks, uh, gives me the shakes. And you know, I mean, like I said, I mean, Toronto, Toronto's got some ballers on that team, um, but they they just can't get out of their own way either. Like, I, I by the way, are you shocked at all that they could lose Game Three, Toronto, by like a million points? And they. <laughs> And then win the next two. I'm not. No, no. But I'm also hoping. Um, I'm also hoping that Giannis comes back and like does two more crazy Giannis games and gets the propels them into the next round because I like I need all the Giannis I can possibly get in my life before the off season hits. Uh, that guy has been such a revelation, not just this season, but in the postseason. I love him so much. It, and to the same to the same point that you just made about like, did it surprise me that that happened with Toronto? No, but if all of a sudden it flips again, would it surprise you? Yeah, it would surprise me a little bit just because I it think they, they finally got the lineup right. They got they got Valanciunas off the court, and um, you know I think the lineup or the Giannis. lineup thing makes a lot more sense now. And you know credit Casey Dwayne Casey gets roasted nightly roasted. for his lineup decisions, but he didn't come to these. This is a little quick for him, which is good. Um, he waited till the very. He likes to wait till the very last second when things are really desperate to do stuff. Um, so, good, kudos to him. I like Case. I hope. I hope. I hope he does well here. I was um, going to say, do you think he survives? I'd like to think so. I mean, I just like him. But you know, this is why this is. I had this thing with Ziller today about um, you know, like the coaching carousel and are these guys on the hot seat? I I know it's part of the game. I know it's part of the, the discussion. But like, I hate talking about people's jobs. I just really do. Like, I you know, yeah. like. Yeah, if there's if there's gross incompetence at play, fine. But you know, like I you know I don't like to see people get fired, basically. Ever. Uh, which before we wrap up, I guess we might as well just mention this real quick. Yeah. We were talking about this before the show. Um, so it's Wednesday, and there were massive layoffs at ESPN, and um, we know a bunch of the people who did you know who were caught up in that, and you know, we spend most of our time covering sports. We're all really, really lucky to do that, and it's like we're so fortunate. And then stuff like this reminds you that this can also be a really brutal business. So we just wanted to say that uh, you know our hearts go out to the people who yeah. who didn't make it through. Absolutely, yeah. No, we're thinking about you guys. I mean, so you know, I you're from Philly. I came up in Philly, and so when I start when I started covering Philly sports, man, like Jason Stark 
Yeah, I think he was still at the Enquirer. He might have just made been making the jump to ESPN at that point. But like, Jason awesome, Stark dude. is is a I'll say he's a fucking legend. Like that dude yeah. is so good. And, you know, like I learned so much watching him operate and he still has that same joy for the game that he had back then. And then Dana O'Neill, who's closer to our age, like Dana crushed it on the Eagles. She crushed it on the Phillies. She crushed it on college basketball. She can do anything she wants. She's so good. And so I'm just, you know, like these are these are our colleagues. These are also our friends, you know, Ethan Strauss, who we both have a lot of admiration for. Justin Verrier, who's a terrific guy um, and really good. You know, so I hope all these people find a find out find a landing spot because they're they're too good they're too talented not to be working yeah yeah that's um that's the truth and uh it sucks and uh we're rooting for them so good luck guys uh thank you everybody not to end on a somber note right. thank you everybody thanks for, for listening actually no like uh, th- this ties in perfectly thank you for listening flannery and i really really appreciate every single listener that we've gotten um like we can't tell you like how fortunate we feel to be able to do this. We're lucky. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be back next week. I think guys, I don't know. We're we'll probably be traveling quite a bit. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see when the time works, but thanks for listening. We will catch up again next time and, uh, you know, go basketball. <laughs>